The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Long patience, long suffering, and then another one that required sacrifice or giving up something or giving over something. And that was the one that we spoke of last week, particularly when, when Abraham was asked to give up his only son Isaac. That incredible passage of scripture that uh, shares that and it posed this parental and ethical and theological dilemma uh, for Abraham. And he reasoned that it was God's problem and he reasoned that God could even raise the dead if that was what he was following through on. Of course, course Isaac didn't die. And um, at the end of the sermon last week, we had some Q&A and I really appreciated you, some of you sending in questions and, and uh, I think it enhanced the sermon. I think that it also gave a, a bit more interactivity to the sermon event. But there was one question that was sent in last week that stumped me. And it was a question of how do you think Isaac felt when he realized that he was the offering? And honestly, I cannot say that I had never given much thought to that question Later on in, the, on in the day last Sunday, I received an email from a woman in our church who told me that the story that I'd preached on last Sunday of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac was a founding and important story in her growing up years, one of the most influential Bible stories of her entire life. And then she went on to explain why. And when I heard that, she had an Isaac-like experience I heard her story. I felt compelled to ask her to share it with us this morning. And so I would like to introduce Joy Lowen. Joy and Ed have been part of our church for a while now. They've played a key part in our prayer ministry called Come to the Quiet. And uh, she's pre-recorded this this, uh, short testimony about her Isaac-like experience. And I'm going to have her do that now and share with us. And then uh, I'll come back and finish the sermon right after. Good morning. Uh, My name is Joy, and uh, I have had an Isaac experience. My parents were pioneer missionaries among the Somali people, and uh, they opened the land to the gospel for the first time, translated the Bible into Somali, planted a church in in our home, and composed the first Somali songs and uh, many other fruitful things that uh, came out of their lives. My dad tried to emulate Abraham and his faith, his whole Christian life. And thus, uh, that's why I was raised on this story uh, so solidly of Abraham and Isaac. You know, a pioneer, uh, a pioneer missionary has to make much bigger sacrifices than those who followed in their footsteps. Many of their sacrifices had to do with their wife and their, or children, which later uh, missionaries who followed did not have to make to such a large degree, or they had some other options to choose from, but, but not a pioneer. One of the sacrifices mom and dad made as missionaries had to do with the schooling of my older brothers and sisters, Ruth, Charlie, Dan, and Mary. Grace is buried in Yemen. 
And at a young age, they were sent to missionary residential schools in America, uh, for in the United States, for most of their childhoods. And this is uh, the picture of sacrifice for uh, many of these missionaries and their children who were called by God. It, it actually caused uh, enormous psychological damage in my brothers and sisters. Most Christians I know are absolutely aghast with this kind of sacrifice and considered abuse. And I hardly know of any Christian who would say that this was God's will. However, now they are all united together in heaven, mom and dad and my brothers and sisters, and with no more separation, and they are enjoying complete healing. Everyone paid a huge price with many wounds. Then, uh, when my parents were in their 40s, uh, my twin brother John and I were, were born. We did not grow up with our older brothers and sisters because of the age difference. And by the time we came along, missionary boarding schools came into existence. So we were not sent to America. By the age of seven, John and I made the trek to a very good missionary boarding school in a bordering country 1,000 miles away for nine months of the year. I felt mostly abandonment. I was raised solidly on the story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and uh, we were told too that we were being sacrificed. I never understood what that meant as a child, since I had no choice in the matter. But today I understand. When I think of the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, I think more about Isaac than Abraham. I can identify with Isaac. Isaac submitted to the awful, shocking thing. He didn't understand his dad, Abraham, God, or what was happening to him. It's terrible to be sacrificed and not understand why. And that was my situation. Like Isaac, I just submitted to it without understanding my mom and dad, God, or what was happening. I felt abandoned. I felt abandoned, probably like Jesus on the cross, that sense of abandonment. But today it's all different uh, because God has given me understanding. I see the much bigger picture. It is so blessed and wonderful today to understand the bigger picture. You see, the Somalis now have the Bible in their own language. There are believers all around the world, even down the street from where I live here uh, in Winnipeg, and there have been brave martyrs. We know some of their fruit uh, personally. So today, I actually rejoice uh, that I was sacrificed so that the Somalis could have an opportunity to hear the good news. Not only rejoice, but today I count it as a very high privilege to be part of God's historic plan for the Somali people. Glory be to God.
Amen. Thank you, Joy, uh, for, for sharing that. It certainly provides a radically different perspective on parenting, on, on missions than we are used to in this day and age. I consider it a high privilege to be part of God's plan for the Somali people, she said. Thank you, Joy. And it's all about perspective, isn't it? Perspective is something that requires change, And uh, right now, for example, as we live through this COVID-19 pandemic, we are all viewing things differently. We have a different perspective on the elderly and seniors' residences. We have a different perspective on the emergency workers of our society. We have a different view of family life and of time together. We have a different view of work and money. And all of these things that we're appreciating more, physical contact and these things, we change because the, the fact is that our perspective changes because change has been thrust upon us. And sometimes that's the way faith tests bring us into that new perspective of life. One of the benefits of studying a book of the Bible like Genesis is that we see the changes that are taking place in one of the biblical characters like Abraham over time as God shapes and reshapes Abraham to become the man he wants him to be to accomplish God's purposes in his life. And this morning we come to yet one more critical moment, which is the final faith test that Abraham is going to see, and it has to do with Um, a big event in his life of passing on the torch, passing on the legacy of faith to his son Isaac. And um, Billy Graham said this once. He said, the greatest legacy that we can pass on to our children and grandchildren is a legacy of our character and our faith. And we're gonna see that happen today with Abraham. And so would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to read a portion in Genesis chapter 24 of this event in Abraham's life. Here's the word of God. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take for a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but that I will go, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman must, may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, he said, To your offspring I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my servant Abraham. 
Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say to me, Drink, and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance, in maiden, a maiden whom no man had known. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave me a drink. And when she had finished giving a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew water for all of his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had proposed prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and, she, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. And as for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all of these things. <laughs> May God bless his word to us today in this precious story. Amen. Well, we've jumped to chapter 24, and last week we were in chapter 22, and you might wonder what happened to chapter 23, which is a chapter that really is simply accounting for the historical and biographical information. What happens in chapter 23 is that Sarah has died. Abraham's wife has died. Abraham buys a plot of ground from a Hittite leader named Ephron, and he buries his wife, Sarah, in that plot of ground. A similar kind of real estate investment have taken place in chapter 21 of Genesis where Abraham bought a well so he could feed his flocks and water his flocks. Now, why are these included? I believe that these two accounts of real estate in, in Canaan, in the promised land, are included to, to help us to see that Abraham was a man of faith that was all in. He was all in to this promise that God had made. He wasn't half in. He wasn't keeping another door, back door open to go back to Mesopotamia. No, he was all in. He was leaning all of his livestock there. He had bought land there, and he would not let his son Isaac go back in case that he stayed back in Mesopotamia. We're, we're seeing a man who was all in to the promise of God. And uh, I won't go into detail, but, but it, it, it might intrigue us again to understand why Canaan? Why is it that God was going to give the Israelites uh, the land of Canaan? It wasn't going to happen for 400 and some years after Abraham. But if we go back about 300 years to just after the time of the flood, we see that indeed it was Canaan 
country, Canaan land, the, the, the uh, Amorites who were cursed under God's leading. Uh, and, and, and it's incredible the patience of God as we see in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, when God tells Abraham that he's gonna be buried at a good old age and in the fourth generation, when the iniquity of the Amorites has reached its full measure, God's gonna lead his people Israel to take the land. You see the patience of God with the, the Canaanite peoples. And so when finally they are, they are judged for their sin, um, God sends his people in. And uh, yet we see hundreds of years of patience for them to turn, to repent. So I want you to see that when we open the pages of chapter 24 in Genesis, Abraham has a sense of destiny. He has this sense that he is one link in a long line of holy history that God has been working out. And there's this sense of destiny Perhaps in some small way, each one of us should have a similar sense of destiny, that we are also part of God's plan, that we are one small link in a long chain that God has purposed to use our lives for other lives that come after us. And um, each of us should have that, I think, but of course we must be careful to, to be balanced in that. We must not overemphasize things so that we think it all depends on us, Neither should we undervalue our part as if it doesn't matter how we live or what we do in this world. And I would say that that's the difference between living between fatalism and self-determinism, philosophical extremes that are both very uh, dangerous and we must avoid. Fatalism, the idea that everything is predetermined by God or by forces beyond us and it doesn't matter what we do, we can't change a thing. And self-determinism, which is this idea that our free will is so strong that we can do pretty much whatever we want and that we are the masters of our own fate and that it really does depend on us. Two extremes to avoid. And this morning as we look at these two extremes, we need to think about how it is that, that indeed even in the role of parenting, even in the role of passing on our legacy of faith, we must be careful not to fall into either pit on either side of the road. For indeed, only God can do and can control some things, and we must not try to do God's job, and neither will he try to do our job when the, he leaves things for us to do. You cannot do what only God can do, and God will not do what he leaves for you to do. And that applies to being a parent as well. And so in Genesis chapter 4, 24, we see uh, a final faith test that Abraham faces, which has to do with passing on the legacy of faith. How is he going to do this? He is 140 years old when we open up chapter 24 in Genesis. Isaac, his son, has been, he was born about 39 and a half years earlier. And so how is it that at the age of 40, and uh, Abraham 140, how is he going to make sure that this covenant is fulfilled, that the baton of legacy of faith is passed on? Isaac's not even married, and they're living in the land of Canaan, where there is no one that is a, a, a follower of the true God as he is and his family is. He does not want Isaac neither to go back to his own land in case he stays there among his, other, his own people, his forefathers. And so... Abraham summons a trusted servant and sends him off on this 
task of finding Isaac a wife. Now, just let me take a, a moment and step aside for a moment. And just, I, wanna, I want you to think about Isaac. I don't know if you've done much thinking about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all the, the guys all the way down the line. But Isaac, for me, seems to be a very passive and quiet man among all of them. I mean, it, it just seems like he, his character is, is less important than the others. I mean, think about it. If you are a man that is sandwiched in holy history between Father Abraham and this colorful character that we're going to meet next week called Jacob, maybe you don't, want, you don't really stand out so much, I think. When, when your son was between those? Or was it the fact that, that really as a, an only son so far, is he kind of an overprotected only child? Is that why? Is it, is it like Sarah and Abraham kind of smothered him and he wasn't allowed to really make choices in life? Not even allowed to go and find his own wife. I know we live and we're looking at the age of, of uh, arranged marriages here in this, in this Hebrew culture. But often still they had a choice in the matter. Or was Isaac simply the strong, silent type that doesn't say much? We don't know. What we do know from Scripture, three things. Abraham is about to die, and the guy that's supposed to take up the, the gavel is not yet married. And the covenant can't be fulfilled without a marriage. Secondly, Isaac must not be allowed to marry a Canaanite woman who does not follow the true God. And thirdly, he must not be allowed to go back because this is the land of promise. This is where God said we're to dwell. So looking at these three points, I call these Abraham CPP. No, not Canada Pension Plan. I call these Abraham's Covenantal Parenting Plan. He puts into motion a plan that is in alignment with God's promises for his, 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 his uh, lineage, and there are three things that have to happen. Isaac needs to have a wife to fulfill the covenant. The wife might, must not come from the Canaanite peoples, and she, he must not return to, to the former land and live there. And so Abraham indeed gets his wish. The servant goes, as we've read. We just read half the story. He meets up, and the very first woman that he sees is Rebekah, and she is the one God's chosen for Rebekah to marry Isaac. And we read in this chapter that all the, I mean, can you imagine this, this servant standing at the well, and he's got the list there, and he's just checking it off. I mean, she's from the right family, you know, Abraham's family. Check. It says next in chapter 24, verse 16, she's beautiful. <laughs> Check. Oh, let's next. She's a virgin. Wonderful. Check. He's going down the list. Oh, she's hardworking. Check. Good, good, good so far. Um, she's hospitable. She invites him over. Check. I mean, everything is going great here to find a wife for Isaac. Final, finally, at the end of the story that we didn't read is she's actually adventurous too. Check. She's willing to go with this servant and meet this Isaac sight unseen and be married. Incredibly adventurous, faith-filled women, woman. And so Abraham's prayer is answered. Oh, that it were that simple to find wives and husbands, eh? Many of you parents might be thinking. Well, let's take a look now, and I want to take these three points, and um, sorry, I should have been going ahead on this. 
Um, I want to take these three imperatives that Abraham faced and I want to apply them now for us as Christian parents. The CPP for Christian parents, I'm going to call that Christian parenting priorities or prayers. And uh, I don't care how old your children are, I'm going to unpack three things for you that I believe are at the root, at the, at the heart, at the core of every Christian parent, no matter how old your children are. Most parents that I have talked with have the same goals for their children. I've talked to probably hundreds of parents about their children over the years, and I think regardless of their culture even, I hear the same kind of desires and goals that parents have for their children. What are they? They want their children to grow up healthy. They want them to have good friends. They want them to get a good education. They want them to find a well-paying job. They want them to start their own life on their own one day. They want them to get married. And then big number seven, they want them to bring lots of children into the family. I mean, honestly, if you go cross-culture, around the globe, that is probably the biggest seven points of what parents' aspirations and prayers are for their children. The interesting thing about that list is that these are largely external and material matters. And they have a way of eclipsing, even in the lives of Christian parents like us, they have a way of eclipsing the more basic and godly and spiritual and faith-filled goals that we have as Christian parents. And I see it so ha often happen that somehow we have a way of conveying to our children that these things that I just listed are more important priorities than following God, God's will and having deep faith in Jesus. It happens so subtly. Many years ago, Pat and I read a book called Age of Opportunity, a biblical guide to parenting teens by Paul David Tripp. He says at one point in his book that there is a tendency on the part of many Christian parents to be more worried about the world of the seen than the world about the world of the unseen, especially when it comes to our teenagers. He goes on to say, we are more upset that they lost their job, that they failed a class, that they didn't get accepted into the college of their choice, than we are about the inner spiritual issues that God is revealing to them in the moment of their lives. You see, we can get off track. We can, we can, we can say one thing and believe one thing, but we can live another thing as parents. And boy, if, if there's anything that children can be good at is calling us out on inconsistencies between what you profess and what you possess. I think that's okay when they do that. And so I want to I look today at uh, three prayers, three priorities that come out of this text for Christian parents today. And um, it really all has to do with us having an opportunity to look at whether our priorities line up with God's unseen and priorities. First of all, the first prayer that I think all Christian parents should be praying is give our children significant others worthy of lifelong friendship. Every so often, moms and dads, you will have to face the possibility that maybe one of your children, that God's will, it is not for God's will for one of your children to be married. 
And though you can pray for that end, you cannot control that. It is in their court to decide, and it is in the mysteries of God whether it is even meant to happen. And so though it may not be under the promises of God that every child gets married, it is, I believe, under the the priority of God that every child grows up in the capacity to choose significant others in their lives that will be lifelong friendships that will be like the ballast of a ship in their lives and that will outlast you as a parent. That long after your death, you can see that your children have these friendships that are lifelong that are going to carry them through. Now, of course, that could be a wife or a husband, but for many people who are not called into marriage, that's not the case. You see, the same Bible, folks, The same Bible that says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18.22, also says in Proverbs 17.17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. It also says in Proverbs 18.24 that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It says in Proverbs 27.5, better is open rebuke than hidden love and the wounds of a friend are faithful. You see, friendship is important. And that is important for us to to see the legacy of faith continue. We're going to have to pray, God, surround our children with friends. Yes, a husband or wife and, and so on, but friends that will continue the faith journey that we've begun with them. A huge blessing that parents can give their children. I would say as young as three years of age or four years of age, a huge blessing that parents can give their children is the kind of instruction that teaches the the ethics of Jesus. Loyalty, honesty, faithfulness, forgiveness, love, sharing, all the things that, are good, that good friendships are built on. If you will start at an early age to instruct your children, first of all with their siblings and then on with their friends, learning to share, not getting your way all the time, anything that puts tools in that child's toolbox to be able to grow the capacity to maintain good friendships is an investment in the legacy of your faith in Jesus Christ for your children. That's huge. That's very important. And so Abraham teaches us here. And we as Christian parents can say, God, give our children significant others worthy of lifelong friendship. The second thing I'd like to suggest is that these significant others be a godly influence in their lives. It was, it was, it was so much on Abraham that he did not want Isaac to find his wife from among the Canaanite peoples who, they, they were actually, later on when God judges them, they, they were... They were child sacrificing. That's where the whole idea came from. I mean, this idea that they they were a pagan people. And so many times we see in Scripture later on under Moses that pagan peoples led Israel astray when they married into those families. And so Abraham is an example here of a Scripture that comes out later, much later, in the law of Moses, and then in the New Testament under Paul, when Paul said, do not be unequally yoked. Yes, he's talking there about marriage, but he's talking about any friendship. 
Be careful that the kinds of significant others that are in your life have a godly influence. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with a man that is given to anger. Don't go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. <clears throat> Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says this. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character, he says. James chapter 4, verse 4. He warns friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you want to be friends with the world, you're, you're saying I'm going to be an enemy of God because they can't go hand in hand often. And I cite these scriptures for two reasons. Number one, I cite them for all of us at whatever age for us to take inventory of our friendships, of, of the influences that are coming into our lives through friendship. I ask you to take inventory of those things. If you're at the stage of looking for a spouse, if you're at the stage when you are dating, in a dating relationship or thinking about that, you need to ask yourself, Lord, is this someone that you are leading me to? Is this a person that's gonna be a good influence in my life, a godly influence? Are we equally yoked? But even beyond the, the potentially premarital relationship, what about all friendships? Definitely, we should have friendships that are not of, of the same faith and so on. We should be getting to know other people. But those primary relationships where the influence comes. Here's the question I would ask you to answer for yourself. Do I have some solid Christian friends with whom I go to deeper spiritual places on a weekly basis? That's the question I ask you. Do I have some solid Christian friends with whom I go to deeper spiritual places on a weekly basis? If you don't have at least one or two of those in your life, you need to find them. You need to find them. The second reason I shared those scriptures in this second point under this passage is because parents should be taking inventory of the friendships that their children are developing. Now obviously at different stages and ages of life, you get less control over that, parents. We all understand that. But when children are small, you get to decide who they hang out with. You get to decide friendships and activities. And you can start young to influence them in a good way. And also I think that regardless of whatever age your children are at, you can pray and you should pray for their friends. Because there comes a time in every parent's life when you step aside and you are no longer that same primary influence and somebody else steps in and their peers become another influence in their lives. And so, what are your friendships like? What are your children's friendships like? A man by the name of Peter Haas said, if you have four to seven, four to seven <laughs> strong Christian friends, you will be much more likely not to backslide and you will see two things, more miracles in your life 
and more answered prayer. Think about that. If you have four to seven strong Christian friends, you will have a more likelihood of not backsliding during your entire life, and you will more likely see miracles in your life, and you will see answered prayer. So if you can count right now on, on your one hand with five fingers up, can you fill up those fingers on one hand with Christian friends that you connect with regularly? This could be one of your summer homework pieces right now. Is God, God I, I'm asking you to show me who are those Christian friends I'm meant to go deeper with. Now, well, let's, let's look uh, finally at a third Christian parent priority prayer and that is, God, let them not turn back to a life without God, but grow in faith and witness. Abraham did not want Isaac to go back to his former place that he lived in Mesopotamia for, for various reasons. One is because many of his former family were not following the true God. And secondly, this is where God had called him. This is the promised land Isaac must live here, he must dwell here. And so, clearly, in, in application of this point, similarly, we as parents, we pray and we hope that our children whom we have instructed in the way of the Lord will themselves choose life in Christ, will themselves choose to go forward in the promises of God and not want to go back to a former life that they will have a, a place in their life where they will own their own faith and be planted in the promises of God because God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. Each generation must choose to follow Christ. Psalm 145, verse four. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts, O God. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, it says, Lay up these words of mine in your heart. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, and when you're lying down, and when you rise. Four times in the day, in this scripture, Moses is saying, this is how you parent. This is how you remind your children of the priorities of God. When you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It was interesting, the other day, uh, Emily, our daughter, stopped into our house, and um, she walked inside the front door, and she said, this, this, uh, this living room smells like grandma's house. And uh, Pat's mom, as you know, passed away a few weeks ago, and back at Christmas when she was moved out of her apartment, we took a lot of her furniture, and we're just storing it in our house for now. And... Um, that's what happens. It, it, our living room's taken on the essence of grandma's living room. And, and that's what's meant to happen when you have a child in your home living with you for 18 or 20 years, when you have a child that you're nurturing from, from infancy and birth all the way up. They take on, they're meant to take on the essence of their parents. They're meant to take on their values and so on. And that's why you sit at home, you walk along the way, you get up and you go to bed, and you're talking about the things that matter. I love the scripture in 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul writes to Timothy and says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then 
it lived in your mother, Eunice. And then he says, and I'm convinced now it's living in you, Timothy. You see, that's, that's leaving a legacy of faith. I think, I, I, <clears throat> I think it'll only be in heaven when I realize the many answered prayers of my mother and of my grandmother. That my coming to faith in Jesus Christ at an early age and my entering pastoral ministry, probably a big part of my mom and my grandma's prayer lives. I encourage you, parents who did not grow up in Christian homes, maybe you're sitting in your home thinking, well, that's nice if you had the legacy passed on to you, but what if you didn't? What if it's uh, starting from scratch? Many people in our church I know as well that did not grow up in Christian homes, regardless of the age of your children, you're still meant to be a significant other. There's a survey that was done by Faith at Home organization. Of, um, well, it wasn't done by them, but they quote it. It was done of 250,000 teens that had strong faith. It was done in the United States. And they, of the 250,000 Christian teens, they, they were asked, what was the most impacting influences in their lives? Guess what influence was number one? Mom. Mom was the biggest influence in their faith than anyone else. And guess what was number two? Dad. In fact, in this survey, mom and dad were twice as much of an influence than the third influence, which was peers and church programs. Mom and dad, you play a huge role in influencing your children and in passing on the legacy of faith. And so, how do you do that? Well, you keep walking. You keep abiding in Jesus. You keep on taking care of the depth of your faith and leave God take care of the breadth and influence of your faith. Even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you can have that family cycle change. You can rewrite history. You can start now with your generation. Even if you grew up in a broken home or you had abuse from a family member, I want you to know you can take hope today in Jesus Christ. He starts with each soul and he builds a fresh story. He writes a brand new narrative. He starts with a brand new slate and he changes lives. And you could be a key part. You could be a key part of the generations that follow you being being world shakers. It's never too late to start writing your legacy of faith because you're doing it as you walk out your faith each day. Each day, your influence. Just keep walking. That's what Abraham did. The legacy of faith that you leave behind is determined with each day that you live by faith. And Abraham, it says in Genesis 24, 40, he says, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You see, the key to Abraham passing on a legacy of faith, whether he got Isaac a wife before he died or after he died, didn't matter, really, because the legacy of faith that he was going to pass on was lived out every day as he walked with the Lord. And that's the way our legacy of faith will be lived out as well. Moms and dads, if you walk with with God you will leave a legacy of faith and you can count on God not to waste it. You can count on God to use it to influence your children. 
May the Lord bless you. As the worship team comes, I'm going to just uh, take a moment and I want to pray for us as we, uh, have, as we have reflected on the sermon. A final question for reflection. When you think about your biggest dreams and prayers for your children, how many of them are temporal and how many are eternal? And what part of the message today has landed on your heart? How might you pray differently for your family and children? Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, I thank you for your word that though it's uh, a thousand years or more old, Lord, that it, thousands of years old, that, that it can live today. God, it can, it can have a relevant message for today. And we are so much more alike to Abraham than we realize, Father. We also have similar concerns and faith tests like he had. And so, Father, today I lift up moms and dads to you some of them maybe that are elderly, that are feeling like failures, that, that they don't, didn't feel like they measured up. They lost so many years of, of opportunity. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd show them that they can still, in this very time and season of life, live out their faith journey, walk it out, and be an influence upon their grown children. And I pray for those who have young children that they would take stock of the rhythms of life, that they might do something different because of this message to, to take and to seize the day of uh, planting and uh, living out a legacy of faith each day. And I pray, oh God, for children of all ages, you have put eternity in their hearts, God, and we pray for an awakening of children who have walked away from the faith that they grew up in. Lord, I pray that you will bring them back into your fold. Lord, that you will answer the prayers of many moms and dads. And we pray today, Lord Jesus, that you will awaken fresh faith in Christ. The Jesus Christ that died on the cross, was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us, for children who have gone wayward. Bring back the prodigals, Lord, and awaken true, fresh faith in each of our children, in each one. Jesus, have your way, we pray in your name. You know, back at the beginning of this COVID-19 season, for those of you who are on Facebook, you saw that uh, there were lots of people who were posting funny lists of song titles for the COVID-19 season. And, and this song, I suppose, would be at the top of that list because the song we're about to sing is called Give Us Clean Hands. And we've been washing our hands a lot this last couple of months. Uh, but I'll tell you why we're singing it this morning. We're singing this song because it is a prayer about legacy. It is a prayer that says, God, because of the way that I live, may it be true that this generation is a generation that seeks your face. And uh, we're going to sing this song together. You know, the older I get, the older I get, the more I realize that when it comes to legacy and what my legacy is, most of what matters to me is that my kids one day will be able to say that if I influence them at all, that I influence them towards Jesus. That's, that's legacy, and that's what we've been hearing about this morning, and that is, I think, the prayer for many of us in this church family. Lord God, I feel like you have opened up something in 
our hearts this morning, a desire, a deeper desire in our hearts this morning about legacy. A desire that those that we influence would choose and continue to choose wisely and who would walk with you in honor of Christ, saved by Christ, for the glory of Christ. And as we sit in this deeper desire that we have experienced this morning, I pray that you would help us Help us to walk that holy balance like Pastor Terry shared this morning. That holy balance between trusting you and not taking things into our own hands and trusting that you are sovereign over the lives of those we love so much. And a balance between that and obeying you by continuing to pour into these lives that we love so much speaking what is true, living what is true, genuinely because we love you and also in a way that is intentional that speaks into the lives of our kids. And we pray for our kids, all those on the video this morning that we saw, all those that we see in our day to day. Thank you for continuing to empower us and we ask for more of that. I pray this morning for the moms, for the aunts, for the grandmothers, for the teachers, for the friends, all of those pouring into their, their kids' lives in different ways, and for all the men as well. I pray that you would just show us how to keep doing that, that this generation and the next generation would be generations that seek your face, O God of Jacob. Thank you for hearing us this morning. Thank you for allowing us to worship you this morning. And I thank you for the word that you gave us this morning, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy Mother's Day, however you creatively uh, experience that and celebrate that today during this season. God bless you all.